We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. For men, for such a long time, have been limited in their identities to career, whereas women really haven't had that. We've had a the ability to grow other areas of our lives, like friends and hobbies and relationships with our children. Whereas for men, it's like everything is in that bucket. And so if career isn't going well, nothing's going well. Welcome to Love Link, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Our guest today is a clinical psychologist and researcher specializing in the challenges and strengths of breadwinner women families, in which women are the primary earners. Here to talk to us today about what happens when women make more money than men is Dr. Lena Pearl. Welcome, Lena. So glad you could be here with us. I'm so glad I could be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us, you've done all of this research, you've conducted a study, you wrote your dissertation on breadwinner women. So tell us about how you became interested in this topic. That is a good question. Uh, well, research is me search, right? Everybody <laughs> gets into this. But I will say I'm not a breadwinner woman. My husband is the primary breadwinner in my home, which... Um, it's sort of helpful to think about, like the way I think about the word breadwinner, it really is whoever makes more than 50% of the household income. So that's kind of like what I'm thinking of. Um, but I think what I really, what really got me started in it was after I had my first kid. And at the time I was working in publishing and I really struggled with a lot of the logistics of how to make it work. I grew up in a home where my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my husband's mom was a stay-at-home mom. So I felt like I had no blueprint for how to negotiate a dual income family. I felt a lot of guilt about wanting a career and what it was going to look like and who was going to do what. And I was sort of playing the role of a stay-at-home mom and working at the same time. And that was impossible. And, um, I sort of started looking around me at friends and coworkers and what's everyone else doing. And what I saw was that everyone else was sort of struggling in the same way. And I think I thought about the girls I grew up with, obviously now women that I'm friends with, and so many of them grew up in homes with breadwinner fathers um, or even sole breadwinner fathers. And then so many of my friends were earning more than their husbands or dual income, almost interchangeable, right? So like 50-50. And I really thought a lot about like, well, how are people doing this? Nobody's talking about it, but it's a huge shift. It seems like a huge shift that's happening. So that is where I started to look into the research in grad school. Um, and when I went back to school, which ultimately was a big career shift, um, and I just wanted to know, like, what is what does the research say? Is this a trend? You know, and if it's a trend, how is how is it impacting marriage? How is it impacting family? How are people dealing with it? And what did you find in the research? Uh, it was extremely depressing and horrible. So most of the research was that breadwinner women are hugely detrimental and awful for families, for marriage. I mean, it was. Breadwinner women in the research had been associated with everything from divorce, marital unhappiness, infidelity, um, 
mental illness for the man, wow. physical illness for the man. Uh, it was like, you name it, if it's bad, it's associated or correlated with breadwinner women. And when were these studies coming out? So the big one that started me down this path was one from 2013, which felt fairly recent at the time. I mean, I started graduate school in 2013. And that was the most recent one I could find. And it was really, um, really definitively depressing. I mean, it was like a big, huge study with a massive amount of people that came out from the University of Chicago that said that as a woman made above 50% of the household income, like she crossed that line, basically divorce rates went up, marriage rates went down, marriage instability and unhappiness went up, um, and, you know, it was just like, and that's what it is. And there wasn't a lot of specifics to this. It wasn't like, well, who's unhappy and why are they unhappy? There was a lot of speculation mm -hmm. that, you know, breadwinner women are less appealing as marriage partners. So they compensate for that. In the study, this was speculated by um, sort of not competing in the workplace or quitting so that they can be more appealing as marriage partners to their... Um, Mill. So real patriarchal lens there. Real patriarchal lens, real kind of coming at it with a certain bias. But I think that was the first thing I read. And I just thought, maybe this is not what I want to study. This is like really just depressing. And like, I'm kind of trying to do something different. And I was sort of disenchanted. Um, but the more I read, the more I was like, I don't think this is just depressing. I think this is wrong. Like this something is missing here because it doesn't, actually line up with the experience of any of my contemporaries that mm. this is just this horrible like you know you know like my my marriage is crumbling and this doesn't work and I just like it just didn't line up and so many of the theories behind why this was a problem didn't make sense to me I didn't see my sort of ambitious strong female friends being like I'm gonna quit my job so like my husband still loves me I mean it was just I don't know I mean I also think about just how there's this assumption that men's identity is so tied to career, like historically tied to career, mm -hmm. whereas women have multiple roles and then they can feel satisfied having a lot of different roles. It's not so tied up in career, yeah. right? So when, you know, I guess in a, if a woman is the breadwinner, then the man feels like something is slipping away in his identity. Yeah, But I don't know that that's so... That does. I also just anecdotally don't feel like that's as true anymore. Yeah. Um, where men are more involved with childcare now, they are more involved in taking care of the households. Yeah. There is m more equality. I mean, of course, we live in a bubble here mm -hmm. in New York City a little bit more, but um, it does seem like some of those things are shifting too. So tell us what your research found. So I. I I mean, I want to say, I think that that is, you're so right. Like that's the boogeyman of breadwinner women. I think there's almost like this inherent assumption that these, that men are unhappy, that men are like, ugh, like this woman's making more than me. I can't stand it. Like I'm so threatened. And that's a lot of what the interpretation is. And it can feel very icky. Like, oh God, what's wrong with men? Like, why are they so unhappy with this? Um, but I think what my research showed, so my research was very segmented. So a lot of this big research, right, it looked at these wide swaths. So they looked at like, you know, 20,000, big data, 20,000 sort of anonymous um, data points, and then um, just separated people into breadwinner women, right? And, but you can think like, what is a breadwinner woman? Is it a woman who is a successful professional in New York City, whose husband is also earning? Or is it a woman who is the breadwinner because her husband's in prison or her husband's depressed or her husband mm. can't find a job because he's in an area where like he's like a, you know, maybe is looking for a physical labor job and they don't exist anymore because of the changing economy. So there's so much right. of a range there. So my study, I really was like, I want to look at a segment and I kind of want to look at people that I'm thinking of when I think about this trend. Not to say that the broad swath of breadwinner women, you know, they all deserve to be studied. I mean, but it doesn't really tell you that much if you're saying, I'm looking at everyone and making assumptions about what it is to be a breadwinner woman. A woman who's making the, the income with a husband in prison, there's so many other factors that are affecting their marriage, not just yeah. the 
the income Well, level. one thing that's usually correlated with breadwinner women is poverty. You know, there's a huge number of breadwinner women that are breadwinners because they don't have a choice or they their husband is, you know, extremely underemployed, right? And that's a whole other problem. It's a valid problem that deserves attention, but it may not line up with, you know, the breadwinner woman who is highly educated professional who happens to be earning more than her husband who just, you know, maybe is a teacher or, but they're both, you know, you don't, it's a different story. So um, my research looked at about 850 individuals who kind of fit that bubble, right? So I looked at, I started finding people, recruiting people um, through Westchester um, mom blogs and Facebook sites and things like that. So I'm looking at a very specific slice. The New York area. Upper New York middle area, class, upper, upper middle class. class. Yeah, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Searches. Mm-hmm. Like, what, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. mostly because I want to know what is really going on with these women, right? Um, and I looked at men and women, heterosexual, married men and women. And I looked at their relative earnings within their households. And then I looked at their marital happiness. And I looked at a couple other factors that had sort of been suggested might impact this. So parental guilt. I looked at um, expectation about like what you thought your earning patterns would be. And I looked at career satisfaction as well. So like all these variables. Um, and what I found in my segment was that there was in the overall group, no relationship between relative earnings and marital happiness. So if you looked at the whole segment, it just didn't, and that's a huge departure from the effect size or the relationship they found in the 2013 study, which was very definitive, a medium effect size of like, you know, people are less happy. Mm -hmm. Um, what was interesting was when I split it up, so I looked at just men, to how are men less happy if you split it into men and women. Men, there was absolutely no correlation. And in fact, if you had to make a relationship, it was positive. So as their wives made more, there was a slight trend, though not significant, towards them being more happy. Um, whereas for women, there was a significant trend if you just looked at the women. So it was the women who were less happy in these marriages with the caveat, they were only, I mean, it was a teeny effect. So from a statistical standpoint, it really does not represent, if you think of all the things that go into what makes a happy marriage, it's like 0.08% of that. So not a big, not a big deal. Do you think any of the men were uh, reporting higher levels of satisfaction because they knew they were in a study about breadwinning women? Um, It's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean, it was it was anonymous, you know, but I can't say that there wasn't a discussion around the table for those people. You know, it could have definitely had an impact. I mean, there's a lot of things I can speculate about now that would have made such a big difference between those previous studies, for sure. And what was your interpretations of why women were a little less happy? Um, so... My interpretation, I mean, a lot of the anecdotal information that I got from women I spoke to when I was sort of constructing the study was this sense of I'm doing double duty. I am, I'm doing all the mom stuff and it's all kind of falling to me and there's this societal expectation that I will be um, taking care of all the kids stuff, but then I also have a full-time job and it's just overwhelming and I don't know how to fix that. Um, and it's a lot of pressure. Even if you're not a breadwinner as a woman, mm-hmm. you're still on double duty. Right. It's a double bind. It's, it's a, a double, double bind. bind. Yeah. 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 I mean, I am not a breadwinner and I feel that. Yeah. Absolutely. Although I am surprised because if a woman is slightly less satisfied because she's trying to juggle two roles into one, um, you would think that some of that dissatisfaction would come out in the relationship. There would be frustration, or there'd be exhaustion, or levels of connection would affect both partners. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like your results didn't show that. It's interesting. I think a lot of the women I spoke to feel like they sort of a silent suffering. Mm. Like I take everything on, and there's a lot of sense of responsibility and personal guilt that um, I have to keep everybody happy. 
I have to. So they might be working very hard to keep their husbands happy and not let them know because they may feel like, you know, I don't want to name this thing that might make them uncomfortable. Right. You know, my husband's earning less than me. I don't, I don't want to talk about that. Right. I also think about how a lot of women think that they're the only ones who are experiencing this kind of stress, right? So they're, if, if they're feeling bad and feeling distressed, it's, the question becomes more about something wrong with me. Am I doing something wrong here? Everybody else looks like they're cool with yes. juggling all of these things. And I think there's a well-meaning but actually kind of insidious story out there right now like this future is female um this idea that we're all gonna just you know this is the future and we're gonna do everything and who needs men and like let's just blow the roof off this and like unite and i think that it creates this narrative that like that is a possibility meanwhile it's like it's really hard to juggle a family and a career and I think it's sort of crazy to bench half the team and be like, no, we've got this. And like, I mean, I, I don't think it really does us a lot of favors. I don't think it does men a lot of favors or recognizes that like they've also been limited by this traditional structure. And there's a lot of room for them to kind of be able to expand to in their role. Um, but yeah, I think that that sort of rhetoric of like, yeah, women can do anything. And what, I mean, there is a ceiling, like it's exhausting. And if you think that I'm supposed to be doing everything and, you know, um, it's like you said, you start to feel like everyone else seems really, they've got it all together. They've got it. They're so empowered in this, you know, and it's really, it's impossible. Right. You cannot right. do everything. Right. And I think it should, I mean, it, it needs to start systemically too. I think about like maternity versus paternity leave. Women are expected to stay at home, take care of the kids and men don't get that leave. And so they're really, that chances, that opportunity is oftentimes taken away from them. They're not even given that. Yeah. There's a million, you know, the term, like it's not, I mean, microaggressions, I don't know if that's the right term, but like when you're a mom, you know, the school sends the permission slips home to mom and the emails to mom and the default is to mom, right? Mm. So the whole system is sort of set up to perpetuate. Colludes. It does. And it's not an evil system. It's just an old system. And I think women are so afraid to, you don't want to be the one raising your hand and being like, you know what? I don't have time to go to all the parent events. You feel so guilty like there's so much emotion there so to push back on that feels very hard I think I am interested in these breadwinner women because I think to to be extremely successful to have children to make more than your husband I mean you have to be an incredibly ambitious person and so I'd be curious about right like they've had to go through a lot of hoops and hurdles and go above and beyond to get to where they have especially with a child Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it really speaks to women who also, I mean, have a lot of perseverance and tenacity to get to where they are. Yeah, I think that's right. And so to take on everything, I can imagine would also be a default mindset. I think, yeah, that makes a lot. I mean, I think there is a type A aspect to mm-hmm. this of a feeling like almost a reflexive, you know, if there's something to be done, I can do it. And I have a huge responsibility. A lot of the women I talk to who find themselves in the situation, there's something very reactive. I have to answer the email from work and I have to please my kids and I have to, but you know, there's so much of pressure. um, I can do a lot and I must do a lot. And that's automatic. Michelle Obama had this great thing in her book, Becoming, because she's a type A, very ambitious, very successful. And she was saying, you know, women can have it all, but they can't have it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even her acknowledging this, you know, very ambitious woman who's done it all, right, is saying, actually, I didn't have it all at these times when I was raising young children, when she was still working. It didn't feel like she could really have it all in those moments, even though maybe there was the appearance that she mm-hmm. right. was, you know, right. doing this really everything. speaks to like managing expectations yeah. of the woman and also of, of the male, of the male partner. And I think that part of it doesn't get spoken to a lot because I think what, what I found most interesting from the study was that the men weren't unhappy in these marriages. What you did see was that there was a connection between men's career happiness and their marital happiness, whereas women, there was no connection for women. So for men, um, 
I think for such a long time have been limited in their identities to career, you know, and career colors everything. Whereas women really haven't had that. We've had a, the ability to grow other areas of our lives, like friends and hobbies and relationships with our children. Whereas for men, it's like everything is in that bucket. And so if career isn't going well, nothing's going well. Um, versus for women, it's like, well, career's not going well, but I have friends and I have, you know, I think there's this, this moment is a huge opportunity for men. And I don't think really people are talking about that. Um, what do you see as the opportunity? I think that men have an opportunity to have a life outside of work. Yes. That's not just sort of um, perfunctory or, you know, like men have an opportunity. Like I see the men now. So I drop my kids off in a, their elementary school. And when I was a kid, there were no men at drop off. There was moms. There was a few babysitters. But, you know, I grew up in the 80s and it was moms. The drop-off is, you know, I wouldn't say 50-50, but 40-60 men at this point at my kid's school, which wow. is huge. I mean, that's a crazy shift within my generation. So, and the men that I see there, they're chatting, they stand together, they have their coffee together. Mm. I mean, like, that's a huge opportunity. Those are friendships and, and relationships that they might not have otherwise had, right? And I think that they also have a really... Uh, opportunity to have a more meaningful relationship with their kids I mean that's just it's so powerful and it's kind of sad that it hasn't been afforded in the past right. I think that it's just reflexively women are always doing that work and they have the you know um and that's kind of sad you right life is so one-dimensional when your your worth is tied to just one aspect of your identity and I can say that I would say like 90% of my male patients come in depressed because they're dissatisfied with work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you also hear about rates of depression in men who retire because once they lose their career, it's like they have nothing. It's the highest suicide rates in this country are white middle-aged men. Right. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that things are shifting whereas these men are sort of being sent out to pasture. You're not, that's, we're not set up for you anymore. You know, we're not all about the patriot, but like, where are you going? Like you've built a whole life based on career, 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 and then that's over. What are you? You know? There's like the society, there's sort of, there's what men can do and what women can begin to do differently and mm -hmm. roles and things like that. But I also think politically, mm -hmm. a lot needs to change because I, you know, I'm from Denmark, from Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, women get a year of paid maternity leave, yeah. men get six months, uh, they get like another six months before the kid is five. Like, it's crazy time off and it's all paid yeah. but it it really keeps women in their careers at a high level mm -hmm. and also keeps men both in their career careers at a high level but also connected to their children yeah. and men are much more involved there i see that you know in terms of childcare and even things like changing diapers and cleaning yeah. up i mean they're just much more present because they can be right. because yeah. the society has set it up in such a way that there can be more equality and then it happens naturally right. but if families are stressed you know you can do only so much in changing your ideas about mm -hmm. gender roles and you know men should have forced paternity leave absolutely yeah and i think that's yeah. not only important for the parenting but also important for um, career equality because if you also think about all that missed time that women take off from work mm -hmm. the male kind of goes up in leverages in their company yeah. works their way up the corporate yeah. hierarchy and women aren't able to do that because they have they've taken all this time off they've they've had to leave yeah. work because they had to take care of their sick child and that really yeah that sets up a, a different standard yeah I think it's unfortunate I think that's true and I think that's something that I find is really helpful with my individual clients you know so many women come in and they exactly like you said they feel like I am somehow failing at this and everyone else seems to kind of have this taken care of and I'm hearing this from breadwinner women but all kind of career women who have children and have families and one thing to really name is like the system is not set up for you right now and that isn't fair and this is really hard and you're gonna bump up against this slow moving cultural norm and like women moving ahead in the workplace because they're advocating for themselves has moved a lot faster than the structure around them and so I think it's 
very hard, but also kind of an opportunity if we can like own it to rewrite it and say just what you said, like, this is what we need. We can write the blueprint. Like, it's not going to be easy. You know, it really involves being honest with yourself about what you need, having conversations with your employer and your husband. Um, but it does involve not apologizing. Mm-hmm. And, and it does being. seem like we've reached some sort of threshold. Absolutely. Or we're approaching a threshold because more and more women are in the workplace, more and more women are breadwinners. Like, mm-hmm. it can't sustain itself at this yeah. at this level. We invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N O N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. So, you kind of spoke to it just now, but I'm curious to the friends and peers who are breadwinner women or patients of yours that are breadwinner women, like, Mm -hmm. how do you help them through maybe some of the struggles or how to communicate with their husband or kind of what what to do about this? I think what I'm seeing is, number one is unite. So there's actually movements within companies. I just was, I spoke at Google recently about this. There's 700 breadwinner women like in a club at Google, essentially, where they're like uniting behind this idea. And it's not necessarily um, a completely organized movement, but I think what they're saying is like, we exist, we have we're kind of all struggling with the same thing. We're going to name it. Just know that you're not alone. And you may not be a Google, but you if you look around and you're willing to say out loud what is happening for you, people will absolutely sit there and be like, it's happening for me too. So it's not you. It's not your fault. It's happening for every woman that sits down in my office and tells me this. Like It is totally a universal thing. Um, the other big thing that I think... I spend a lot of time on with my clients is really asking themselves a lot of questions. Once you can separate yourself, it's not, I'm not failing, right? These instincts I'm having that this isn't tenable or that I want to make a change are real. But I also, you don't want to make like a reflexive kind of panic to change. You know, I hate my husband, I need a divorce or, you know, I, I can't stand being home. So I'm just going to like double down on work and never see my kids that is like running scared. You know, I think we have more options than that if we can sit with it long enough to figure out, you know, like I feel a lot of guilt. What does that really mean? Does it mean I want to spend more time with my kids or that will feel better? They will need that. Does it mean I need better childcare? Does it mean I need to talk to my husband about being with them more? So giving yourself the space to kind of have those conversations with yourself out loud you know, and believe you can have a change and you can have something better than you have now. We just don't know what it is necessarily. So and it seems like finding the right path for them, that there's a lot of pressures, whether it's pressure to be more of a present mom or more of a successful employee, yeah. but really kind of filtering through those pressures and tapping into what's important. Yeah. Be compassionate towards yourself. Don't beat it out of yourself. I think there's the instinct to be like, I shouldn't feel guilt or I should be a better employee or I'm not doing enough. It's, you know, that's just not true. Like there's, you're in a really tough spot. It's a really hard moment in history and we need to be able to ask ourselves these questions so we can move the needle. You know, this is what's going to do it. What did you notice about your experience when you had children? I noticed that I 
really didn't know how to do it. And I was, I think in any ambiguous situation, you're kind of scanning the horizon, what everybody, what's everybody else doing? And I was like locking eyes with my mother and my mother-in-law and they were looking at me like I was an alien. You know, they were like, well, I quit my job, stayed home. So it was like, so I found like there was a huge learning curve for me. And I was- So you were continuing to work. I was continuing to work. I found that being home full time with my daughter felt really, really hard. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was like a um, a horse that had been bred for the Kentucky Derby, and then I had been like put in a pasture and told to eat grass. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, nobody was. I didn't. I went to you know a competitive high school and a competitive college and it was career 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 I didn't have kids till I was 30 which is young even by New York standards and um it was like full stop okay forget that stuff Mm. now you're gonna do something completely different that no one has trained you for that you're not gonna be good at and it just it was brutal it really felt brutal it was just like what you know and to jump back to work felt not right because I was like, I love this baby. Like, I feel so connected to her and I want to be a good mom. But to be home full time felt awful to me. It did. I mean, I was just like, I can't do this. You go from being this intellectual person to then doing baby talk. Yeah, oh, my being up vomit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, like, yeah. I think there's something or like, something. Yeah, I don't know. truly unnatural, if you look at it like evolutionarily, about being alone with a baby all day long. I don't think it's meant to be that way. Um, we're meant to like raise babies in a communal. Yeah. I mean, all alone in your apartment with a baby all day is it's really tough. It's really tough. Yeah, so isolated, <laughs> super isolated. Yeah. And look, I should say this was my experience. There are people who are like, "This is it." You know, I love this. Um, but I think when you don't feel that, which so many women I talk to didn't feel that there's so much shame and especially if you're looking this is all happening within our generation so you're looking ahead and you're like well my mom can give me nothing here you know she made this decision um so it's like a very lonely feeling and i think you're speaking to a conflict that so many women struggle with which is like i want to be a mom and i want to work and that conflict of making this decision and eventually you have to compromise even if you do both there's a compromise and so some of that is also a loss too yes mm-hmm. yeah it's a loss of what you were it is and maybe the conversation will change and we will think about things in the future as like you know I want a career and I want to be a parent what's that going to look like um I don't know how you guys felt but like I didn't feel like that was a conversation when I was in school and growing up it was like what do you want to be what do you want to do it's very career focused absolutely it's all been career focused up until now where I'm Mm -hmm. like oh I'm 33 (laughs) (laughs) you know where I I do want children but I also find like I'm so career focused still and Mm -hmm. I don't want to give that up either because that's the thing that makes me feel alive. If I could have a kid and I do want to have a child, I wouldn't want a child until I was 45 or 50. Mm -hmm. At a time when I feel like, right, I've I've had a like burgeoning and successful career. Mm -hmm. I'm now feeling like I want to settle down a little bit more. I have Mm -hmm. more time to stay at home, but it's like, the time when we want to have children is usually the time when we're just starting to ramp up and really gain traction yeah. in our professional lives. Yeah. Right? I mean, here we are starting a business together mm-hmm. in our early 30s, and it's like, oh, we're just getting going. And then yeah. everyone's like, you have to have a baby, too. You know, and this, you can't it's the worst time. You can't do it. the worst time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, there's something to, you know, I think that when you have women are now also being afforded the opportunity to put all their eggs in one basket just like men were and it's very heady and you're like oh my god like my career you know i am gonna be this you know i'm just killing it in my career but you also know the deep depths of despair when things aren't going well in your career when everything is about it and you feel like you get passed over for the promotion or maybe i don't like what i'm doing anymore at work and it's devastating right there was a for me, like having kids, I did not think about it in these terms, but once it became a reality, it was like, you know, 
all my eggs aren't in one basket. Anymore. I mean, it, it was like, mm. sometimes work sucks. And sometimes, you know, in grad school, I would be obsessing over like, oh my God, this paper, this test. And then I would be like, you know what? If I fail this test, I go home and I have these amazing kids that love me. And it was, and, and that I love and that give my life another meaning, right? Mm. So it's it feels like this, like, either or like this choice of it how am I going to do this but I think everybody both men and women need to open up this space to be like real life has many things and gives you perspective I mean now I'm thinking back to all of the parents that were grad students while I was Mm -hmm. in my doctoral program and they all had a different mentality than all of us who didn't have children and it tended to be a little more relaxed a little more um not taking everything so seriously less anxious and i always in my head was like how are you doing this how are you having a full-time career as a student and going back and being a parent but i also think that there was something right that that you were less attached to yeah you come with a different energy Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah 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 nothing feels quite as big because you know, nice. it's nice. It's scary and it's nice because you're also like, you know, you nothing can be as big. Mm. You know, like you can't go a thousand percent necessarily in your career. And like I remember in grad school, everyone I always had this feeling on the flip, like, oh, I don't have the same time to devote to this that everybody else does. And everybody's leaving after class and getting together and like hanging out and bonding and I'm going to go home. And like, it was a, it was forced. There was a whole other part of me that imagined myself like, you know, I don't know, signing up for every club and like being a TA and like doing all these 100% A++ things that the old me would have done. And I couldn't do it. And it was like a death. I mean, it really was a hard thing to um, manage. But then I'd be like, but would I give up my kid? I mean, it sounds bad, but like, but would I just want to do that? And I couldn't imagine going back. Human Not, connection is what it's about. It's huge. Yeah, it's you look huge. back on your life and it's you everything. think about what's meaningful yeah. even right now. Yeah. I think about it's the people that I know and the meaningful relationships that I've had. And, yeah. right, and that's what matters so much. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. yes so I'm curious because I and I don't know if you came across any of this but um, the infidelity research that I've come across has found that higher earning women tend to be less faithful or at least um, more balanced in terms of like fidelity rates between men and women than Mm -hmm. areas where women are more financially dependent on their husbands this is a weird area because I've read all sorts of things. And this is another one of these boogeymen. I think of breadwinner women. There's this fantasy, I mean, maybe it's real, but this fantasy of, you know, it's emasculating for men and that on a sexual level, like there was a big story that came out of the research that like um, men with breadwinner wives are more likely to be taking Viagra, which was a big one. And it was like this big headline. And it, the headline was... Impotent. Yes, exactly. The headline was <laughs> Perfect like... Perfect headline. Right, exactly. <laughs> when your wife makes more, your sex life suffers. I mean, that literally was... And there was another study that said... There was actually a study that said that in marriages where the wife makes more, the wife is more likely to be faithful and the husband is more likely to cheat. Mm-hmm. So so it's all over the place. It's all over the place. And again, I would be very cautious with all the data out there because I think a lot of times it's confusing breadwinner women with poverty and other issues and, and underemployed men, right? So if you think about what's going on with underemployed men, because our society is still essentially set up for men, it's assumed they will make more. So mm-hmm. if they're making less, um, are they depressed? Are they stressed out? We know that men's career satisfaction is related to everything, right? So if a man is struggling in his career, he's also probably, he may be struggling with depression or anxiety. He may need Viagra. Those things are correlated to stress. You know, Another weird thing is like maybe he's having more sex with his wife. You don't need Viagra if you're not having sex, right? Mm. So maybe something else is going on. I just think 
a lot of this data, it's like throwing darts at the wall and you find these correlations and then the story comes out because we have this idea, like these emasculated men. We project men. the narratives that we want onto I think these stats yes. and results. Exactly. Right. 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 Makes sense. So how can women teach their male partners to show up for them? I think this is a really tough thing um, because having these conversations in any marriage is hard, right? Um, I need more of this. You know, you're not doing enough here. Um, I, and I don't think it's just with your spouse. I think it's with your kids too. I think that women sort of have such a feeling of responsibility and guilt and a need of like having to do it all. And it can feel like a loss of control, like you're admitting your B student if you have to go in and be like, I can't do all this. I need help. I need, you know. Um, so I think that a lot of it is learning to communicate, which is a big thing you do in therapy. Like nonviolent communication is a book that I love. Um, how to talk to your kids so your kids will listen. I think the base of a lot of those is doing your own work so that you can regulate yourself so that you're not stepping into that conversation just overflowing with resentment and rage, right? Which is, I think, what a lot of, you know, it's not like, let's have a conversation about relative responsibilities. It's like, if you leave your towel on the floor one more time, like, I'll take the kids and leave. I mean, it gets to that point where you're just so enraged. So I think that, you know, working on that, like doing your own work and recognizing that this system is affecting both you and your spouse. You grew up in a house where your mom picked up the towels. He grew up in a house where his mom picked up the towels. So it's not necessarily something that he's even aware. So I think that you have to kind mm. of be empathic towards yourself and your spouse. And that can be a really hard thing to do, but I think it's important. And it sounds like even having a conversation about what are the assumptions that I was raised in, like what are the roles that my parents played and how that does impact exactly. us now and how we can redefine yeah. or define what roles we want to take, even if that is traditional ones. Yeah. And what we can teach our kids. Right. How are roles. we modeling this? Right. And I think yeah. that's been a big conversation even with my own husband. We have two daughters. And some of this stuff is like, what do you want their lives to look like? Mm. You know, should they be slaves? You know, should they be like people who we just assume that are going to be? Because I think when a, you look at your kids, you're not thinking like, I hope one day, you know, you're folding the laundry. You know, like <laughs> it's nobody's it having you to say that to your wife, <laughs> yeah. not about your daughter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like I think for, I mean, this is so personal, but like, you know, what does it look like for your spouse to care for you? Right? Like, does it look like them doing the laundry? Like that was an actual conversation I had with my husband where I was like, I can't, I'm spending my weekends doing laundry. This is crazy, right? And at the time he was working full time and, and I was in school, right? So he was really holding the bur financial burden for our entire family. And I think we had to do a lot of talking around him saying, you know, I feel like I am sacrificing and I when you do the laundry, I feel taken care of and I'm taking care of you guys. And like, it's hard when you say like, I don't want to do the laundry. It's like, well, you know, how are you taking care of me? Yeah. Right. Which is like, and also I was like, well, screw you. I don't want to do the laundry, but I think like, <laughs> it's, it's a really, there's a lot of emotion in these things. And I don't think it's just like my partner's being lazy and I'm doing everything, which is often what it feels like. Um, the reality is everybody's doing a lot. There's a lot to do when you have a family and there's a lot of financial burden and logistical burden. And yeah, it's easy to feel like you're doing everything. Especially as a you know breadwinning woman or, or a career woman, if you're finding, I mean, I imagine if you're finding yourself standing there doing the laundry, it's so counter to what you're seeking in your life or what you've been working towards. Right. And so, yeah, it's just, it's doing laundry, it's taking care of your family, but there's like tons of meaning and, ton, you know, feeling like, oh, I want to get away from maybe what my mother was or yeah. it's all it's wrapped up in that moment of folding the shirt. I think those are the loaded yeah. moments and they're yeah. not respected as such, but that's where a lot of, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's like you, for, for me, you know, my mom walked me into school every day holding my hand, okay, go in. If I can't do that because I have to be at work, 
what does that mean about me as a mom? What does that mean about me as a wife? Can I be a good mom and not be there? Like, it's so loaded, you know, it's so, and, and I'm supposed to now redefine what it is to be a good mom, but like, that's off the table. I can't like walk my kids into elementary school. Like, I don't think we give enough weight to what those day-to-day, you know, decisions mean and what they do to us. Do you have any conversations about any of this or about what it means with your kids? I do. That, that I think, is a new frontier for me, and it's something I'm really interested in working with my clients because it feels so hard to be honest with your kids. We hold so much guilt. Um, you know, there's... I talk to so many women who go through this, but, like, I work full-time. I'm constantly getting notices from my kids' school about events, you know, be it this spring thing and be it this thing, and, you know, and I totally want to be there and also it means taking the morning off of work again and again and again and I had an experience recently where I got this notice and it was like we're no longer accepting you send in cupcakes with your kids instead we're asking that like parents come in and read a book to the class and I lost it and my 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 seven-year-old who's like my heart was standing right there and I was like I can't believe this like this is too much you know I don't know. I'm going to take a day off of work now every time for every birth. And like she experienced it as like, you don't want to come in for my birthday. Yeah. And it's so, yeah. you know, in that moment, it was because I felt so guilty because I wanted to come right. in. And I was like, this school is like, in you my mind, yeah, I was like, this school's messing up our relationship with my kid. It's a lot to not, ask. It's a lot to ask. And also, like, what I ended up doing, which, you know, it took a lot of my own therapy and like my own work on this was to stop myself and go back to her and like repair and basically be like, you know, I got so upset. I feel, you know, I want to spend your birthday with you and I just feel so bad that I can't. And, um, I really want to be there. And that was it. And she was like, Oh yeah, I want you there too. And then she was like, you know, you can also send in a treat. <laughs> it just can't be a buy cupcake. Buy me an extra present. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> just naming it and not being like naming how you feel. Like I, yeah. fe- I feel really torn. I love to be with you on your birthday. And it's so disappointing when I can't. And that's so validating for the kid. Mm-hmm. It's know. okay to not be there, but it's the important thing is that they know that you wanted to be there. Yeah, they yeah. know you wanted to be there, and you know that it's hard, but it's not. It's not so awful that we can't even talk about it right you know it's like they're fine kids are super resilient if they feel seen and and like attended to right and i feel like from the work that we do we know it's not about the rupture it's actually about the repair exactly yeah Yeah. exactly and that's the hardest thing to do as a parent to own your mistakes yeah i mean yeah it's like how do you go back authority figure but you're also saying i have limitations or i mess up sometimes the boss you're supposed to be have everything in control and they're looking to you to know everything Mm. but i do think there's a line when you deny something you did or you don't acknowledge it that's also scary for kids yeah um, so it's confusing for them. Super confusing. Right, yeah. And they feel like they blame themselves, I think, in the absence of that conversation. Yeah. My mom doesn't want to come to my party. Right. You know, which right. is like, ugh, that's right. a horrible feeling. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important for kids to realize, like, parents make mistakes, too. Yeah. It, it makes me think about our role as therapists, too. I don't have a kid yet, but it's like, you know, my clients are kind of like my children in the way that, like, I can model not being a perfect therapist. I mess totally. up sometimes. I say things that don't fit or are wrong, and mm-hmm. that's okay. It gives them more language. Yeah, then yeah. your kids can come back and be like, I was really mad. I screamed and I threw something. I feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't give that to them, you know, they will not be able to do it. That's a really hard thing to do you know, for anyone huge yeah any last pieces of advice that you would give um to families with a breadwinner woman whether it be the husband the mother the children i mean i think it really comes back to for me the more that i think about this and look at the research like be very compassionate towards yourself your kids your family your spouse um there is a structural change that is happening in this country and we tend to personalize these things and blame our relationships and blame ourselves and um, this is happening to you, you know, and, and it's a crazy moment in time. And so, you know, like I think pull each other in 
Like we're in this together. You know, you and your spouse are in this together with your kids. You're on the same team. And if you can keep that in mind, I think it's really helpful. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So what's next for you? Um, so I'm seeing more and more people in my private practice that I think are struggling with this. And I am working to start a group of women who are kind of like it feels less like group therapy and more like a think tank, honestly, um, kind of helping women get together and talk about this stuff and just say it out loud so we realize we're not alone. Um, and then ultimately, I think I want to look at this trend, not just in these like, you know, uh, highly professional or let's say educated um, women who have a lot of the things that other demographics don't have like the money for childcare, the money for um you know cleaning people and like a lot of supports that you know in some ways we're on the front lines if you're in that position you have the ability to make some change and like change the system there's a lot of women i think that don't have any agency and i think they also deserve to benefit from this and be heard from and so i want to expand my research into that so if women are interested in joining your group or finding out more about you or reading some of your research, where can they find that? Oh, they should definitely uh, contact me through my website, which is drlinapearl.com. And um, just reach out to me. I, I answer all my emails and email is really the best way to get me. Um, and I really am right now also just interested in talking to women one-on-one and doing interviews with women who are experiencing this and... Um, you know, getting as many perspectives as I can. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time.